Welcome to the BAL podcast. I'm so excited about today's episode. But before we get there, I'm Ms. Benny Bonsu. I'm joined by DJ Aries. Um, Colin woke up today, by the way. So Colin is in the house. Um, and also, Intabi is on here. Later on, on this podcast, we're going to have the entrepreneur, the sexual chocolate. I mean, he has many names. Um, <laughs> The man himself behind a passport heavy, Jabril, is going to be right here on the BL podcast. And we're talking all things sports tourism across Africa. But before all of that, let's go to Ntabi for this week's news. What is going on, everybody? I hope you guys are doing well. So just to tell you guys what's going on in this week's news, um, there's some movement again in the NBA. I feel like there's movement every hour. If you do not keep uh, tabs of what's going on on Twitter and on social media, or even just the people you know in the league, you're going to be lost. So the NBA will be back at the end of July. We don't have a precise date on when that's happening. And games will be held in Orlando at Walt Disney. And there are still discussions happening on what these games will look like. Will all 32 teams play? Is it going to be a round-robin system? Uh, we don't know. Updates are happening by the hour, so by the time this is, something else would have changed. <laughs> um, so that's what's happening in the NBA. And now, when it comes to the BAL, FIBA Africa President and Anbel Maneri, how do you pronounce his name? I feel like I struggle with pronouncing names. But yeah, um, he also serves on the board of the BAL. He told FIBA.basketball, and I quote, We'll try to do everything in our power to make the Basketball Africa League a reality this year. He also mentioned something about uh, September being a possibility. But let's not forget that AfroBasket 2021 is supposed to take place in November. So there might be a slight overload of competition. So we will keep you posted. So make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the BAL podcast for everyday news and um, stuff that's happening around the league. And lastly, I just wanted to talk about Dennis Schroeder, who's of Gambian descent um, by way of Germany. Um, he bought a basketball team and is now the sole owner of Brunswick, a German basketball club where he started playing pro and uh, before he started his career in the NBA with the Hawks and now he's with OKC. He was one of the shareholders in his hometown and he bought out three of the other owners. Brunswick plays in a basketball, in basketball, uh, what is it? Bundesliga or something like that. Bundesliga. Bundesliga. There we go. That one, a top-tier German basketball league. So shout-out to Dennis Schroeder for this investment. He's not the only NBA player who's invested in Europe. Tony Parker has himself, and he's doing well. So just a little shout-out to Den Dennis Schroeder for his investment. And that is all I have for you guys today. Man, let me just say something. I don't know if you guys missed it, but this week or last week, um, you guys remember Mario Badatari? Yeah. 
Samaria yep. so made a statement and said, look, if all of us black athletes came together and put money together, we could build a court, football fields, we could build a whole sports and infrastructure in Africa, and we could all go home and actually have our competitions back home because mm-hmm. we don't need to be here to be going through distress. And I 100% agree with him. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Totally. Science, my, my, my only concern really is that you know you, you don't you don't expect athletes to run to run things and i worry for the administrators and the politicians back home who would see an opportunity like this and then rather than help it grow they would find ways to politicize it or even destroy it so um look it's not like we can't do these things you know it's never been about not being able to do them it's just about being able to find the right people you know and the right environment to make it work you know that, that that's been our major issues but colin i don't think when he said that he's thinking that the athletes are coming to run it he's saying as athletes let's put money together and invest now we know amongst the african community especially within the sporting world we have the knowledge and the skills to make this work in africa if we really wanted it to work if we really wanted to work we could do this and when you look at what's going on in america or what's going on in europe when it comes to racism, I think the time is now. And we always have a conversation about, you know, Africa when, when, you know, Africa is the future. Africa is not the future. Africa is right now. And we need to be able to build. If we don't build, we won't come, right? This, our parents always said, if you build, they will come. So now we can build. So, you know what? And I know why Mario said that. And I know this is the BAL podcast. But if we're going to talk about sports, you're talking about all sports. And I really love the fact that it came from him because he has suffered. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, all yeah. the footballers, he has suffered at the hands of racists throughout his career. Yeah, yeah. The thing that you do have is that we'll be, we'll be up to supporting athletes in the diaspora and investing on the continent. Look at the president of Rwanda. He's one guy who's supporting. So the, the whole leadership aspect of things is not the biggest issue. And like Benny was saying, if we have athletes investing on the continent, it's not like they are coming to take over the continent or whatever. They investing in the continent and hiring our people to do the things that they might not be able to do because they've got other things happening in, in, in overseas. So we just need to do what we do. And I feel like the BAL is actually onto something, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we'll players who will invest in buying teams on the continent it just has to start it just has to pick up momentum and we have to get the right talent and like Amadou is always saying that we will have our own strong league and it's always it's going to be competitive and things like that so it, it's a chance so, uh, you guys I think the point I was making wasn't that the athletes come and run it I was saying that the athletes will invest but they won't be the ones to run it but the problem is that those who will run it because look, here's the thing, and, and, and let's let 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 let's be real. Let, let's keep it real here. You, we're not gonna, you're not gonna have to go and import people from. I mean, even if it's diaspora people like Benny and Co from outside to come and run things, because you're still gonna face pushback from those who are in there. And look, I've seen it. I've seen it over and over and over again. You saw what happened when um, uh, the prelude to the Basketball Africa League. The um, it was the Continental Basketball League. You remember that started in Lagos in Nigeria. Look, that could have been. That could have been on a high right now and maybe the BAL would have just come in and just sort of like taken over from there. But there was so much pushback that it never really got off the ground. They used all manner of rules, regulations, politicking to kill that 
that that concept. It barely survived. It was on life support for a while. So my point is that yes, the athletes can come and they can put money, they can drive it, but you know the people in here or in there, you know, who are determined to push back and they push back. They don't push back softly. They push back with violence. You know, those are the guys who might make this not work. And until we can find a way, you know, to marry these two things together, both. Um, I mean, not not even if it's not the artists like um, like um, Balotelli said, even if it's just people like us or other people from here coming in to try and help, we have to find a middle ground between what we need, we want to do, and what the people there are fighting against. So it, it's it's not a one size fit. It's a very it's a complicated situation, and negotiating it will take a lot of diplomacy. It will take time. It will take effort, and it will also take money. Okay, that, that falls on us. Then we yeah, all exactly. have a role to play. So we've then got to exactly. shape the narrative of Africa on a global stage. Because for so long, we have been told what to believe, what to think, and what to do. But if we wanted to go back and then build and make it better for all of us and actually show them what we can achieve if it's done properly, we won't have as much pushback as we have had previously. Do you understand what I'm saying? So BAL, if BAL goes well, it's going to be one of the best in the world. And I hope it does and it will because we have the right people with a good intention behind it with the right support but how do we then make everybody else across africa buy into that that means me <laughs> you everybody within the media everybody within policy everybody within operation everybody within government needs to buy into it and that means all of us buy into it that we want africa to be better you know we didn't like i always mm -hmm. say this to everybody that i feel like we are the generation that was sent away to learn and come back and build we've we've learned now mm -hmm. let's go and build yeah yeah, yeah. Yep. you also uh, you also have to learn the local politics don't forget that that is always mm -hmm. very important that's always an issue isn't it Charlie, that's yeah. why we went on holiday every summer so we don't forget our roots and know how to deal with our people <laughs> yeah, but also also is to build those relationships like as you said we go back and forth every year meet the same people People just to make sure we get them on our side because if you just go in there imposing your ideas they'll be thinking ah these people from abroad who they think they are we have to make sure they're on our side and just talk their lingo don't try and change too much and adapt mm -hmm. to their, you know adapt to their environment because it's different from the western world they're a bit more laid back you know but you, we all know how okay. it is out there yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, we need to change the scarcity mentality of our people because I think all living, well, folk back home, they live on a, you know, that, that kind of mentality where there's, Africa has enough for everyone. So if we can eliminate that scarcity mentality, we, we will have a long way to go. And if, like Benny is saying, and you, Aries, were saying is that if we, you know, come in there and um, not just impose our diaspora lifestyle and what we've seen and stuff like that, and we just work together in unity to build and to sell the right narrative to our people, I think we we, we can go somewhere. Chale, I'm not even going to lie to you guys. I remember when I moved back home in 2012 and I purposely said, I'm not going to let these people know that I speak the language. I'm not going to let them know that I'm a true Ghanaian girl. I didn't. For my first day, I pretended I didn't understand anything. And that's simply because I wanted to know who was on my team and who wasn't. And when I learned, I sat in a meeting with a commercial team and my broadcast team and my production team and we're talking a lot and I had been sent to Ghana by you know MTG modern times group from Sweden to go and build this platform in Ghana and when I started speaking a the language they all fell out of your chest and I said you see you want to come and gamble your own your own people when I'm here to make sure you eat every day I let them know we're not here to play I am not your English in the in the in the girls that are coming back to tell you what to do 
I'm coming to build so we can all eat. And I that's think that's where the responsibility lies with all of us to make sure our people feel part of the journey and it's not a journey by just a few. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, but before we go into it and before we talk to this week's guest, I want to talk about a person we're celebrating today. And a person we're celebrating today is a perfect example of somebody who was sent away to learn and come back and invest. And that person is Luau Deng. Luau Deng left the UK, well, left to, was born and raised in Sudan, escaped Sudan to Egypt. Um, and then in the UK, he came to school here, grew up South London. We're not sure about South Londoners, but you know, he grew up in South London. And then he left the UK at the age of 14, went to the United States, went to school, went to Duke, was drafted into the NBA in, in 2004. He played for Chicago, Cleveland, Miami, Lakers, and Wolves. By his legacy in the NBA, I will always remember at the all-star where he walked out and had the africa t-shirt and he literally showed the africa t-shirt to everybody and it made me proud as an african knowing that there was somebody there that wasn't shy or ashamed to let people the rest of the world know like look i'm an african and i'm a proud african and subsequently he became the face of the nba africa game which we launched in south africa a couple of years back and every year since he's always been back but what's really good about lawal deng is that he's also always given back he's like another surge every community that he's always been in he's always committed to that community so in london for example every year without fail we've had a lawal deng camp that gives opportunities for disadvantaged young players ballers that go to this camp and you know be spotted by and coached by some of the best coaches around the league but also gain an opportunity to go to america and go to school and live their dream he also holds this camp in america especially for the young people from south sudan that are also in america to get the same opportunity and also host in south sudan as well so he does uk america and south sudan but he also does a lot of charity work and his charity work um extends to the uk where he works with a uk children's charity with the who's them homeschool and support um and also he works with a charity the lost voice of south sudan a refugee group um another work people may not know about is south um, Luaden works a lot in rescuing a lot of young people that people sell dream to so they so-called agents or whatever go to africa they scout these kids they take them to america the, the kids are not so good to go to the nba and then they lose the kids and it gets to the point where the kids have nobody they don't have parents they don't have relatives they're lost in america and luau does a lot of work and trying to rescue those young players and getting them to a safe place that goes for boys and girls so this week we salute Luau Deng because I feel like we don't you know we don't talk about him and celebrate him as much as we should especially in the UK we didn't when he was doing when he was playing um and I, I just I just adore what he does and even now with everything you know he's retired he retired in October 2019 Luau invests heavily in Africa he's buying like he's invest infrastructure but also building. He does a lot of construction work across the board, whether it's building hotels or providing housing for the poor people. Luau is doing all of that. And also he's launched something called the Pani, I think it's not Pani Fest, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but I think it's, Pan, it's a panel link, um, which feels like some kind of, it's a festival that brings all diasporian Africans together to share ideas on how we can make Africa a better place for all of us to go to. So how do we make Africa the real life Wakanda for all of us to go back home to? And he does a lot of work for that. So for that, Luau, we salute you right here on the BAL podcast. We appreciate you. We thank you. Please keep going. We're always going to be here supporting you for the work that you do. You're literally, I call him the president. 
because one, he's he's a president of basketball in South Sudan, but I also think that maybe five years from now, Nova is going to be the president of South Sudan. Like literally, I don't know, but I just I can feel it in my bones that Nova is going to be bigger than what we see him to be. Um, so we really do salute you. But now moving on to our guest this week, and our guest is I love this guy. Really, we shouldn't be married, you know, but he's over there busy traveling the world with girls that don't matter. But anyway, <laughs> the man himself. <laughs> oh, Colin, yeah. <laughs> Colin, listen, you can't be married to all of us. Anyway, so this guy, the man behind the, the um, social media sensational videos on traveling, Pass for Heavy. And he's also an entrepreneur. And I also think that he's probably one of the smartest and cleverest guy I've ever met. Jabril is right here in the building. Welcome, Jabril, to the BAL podcast. How are you doing? <laughs> Uh, I'm amazing. Thank you for that introduction. And um, even like before I talk about myself real quick, I, I really want to give big ups to just, you know, creating this, um, you know, this podcast. Um, it's an honor, you know, just to be out here, just to have a voice to share. Um, so I'm just honored just to be out here. And then also even going back to, to Luol, um, yeah, I don't think people understand the kind of impact that he's having not just on this entire world, but, you know, especially to the continent of Africa. And a lot of things you won't really see until 30, you know, 30 years later when these little stories come out with like, hey, because of him, I was able to do this, this, this and that. And he's such a a humble individual. Uh, and we have such, and shout out to South London, SW9. Um, yes. um, and so for people who don't know, I was actually born in South London uh in stockwell and so you know right next door to brixton and so i know about you know the brixton top cats and everything and then but then i grew up in chicago i moved to chicago when i was nine years old um and then so and then to see lou i didn't know lou earlier um in my life when he was playing he was just a star i saw on tv but you know seeing some of the things he's done um yeah i just like he's really truly one of the most humble individuals that you know puts in the work and that truly cares about other people um, so I just wanted to, you know, also echo that in um, a big way. And I don't think he gets enough praise. And so all the praise that I hear, I'm like, yes, let's give him that plus 10x um, for what he does. And yeah. so, but yeah, I'm just here to kind of share what I know, what I've, you know, some of the things I've been through. And so excited to, for the future of the continent, not just one country like my you know, home country of Nigeria, but literally the whole continent. And one of the things when you're talking about passport heavy is one of the things that just, it moves my soul is to show the realities as well of like what today is. So a lot of narrations don't, of, of places are not the current day. So when you think about a place like Colombia, most people think of Pablo Escobar, like cocaine and drugs and getting kidnapped. But when you go to a place like Medellin, that's not the reality of today. And so when I was going to places like this and I experienced, cause I don't like a lot, like when I was in the taxi, it was like, oh, like I'm about to get kidnapped. Like I thought, you know, these are the kind of things and thoughts going through my head when I hop in the taxi. Cause I was like, I don't know these people. Like they really, I was like taxi taking too long. I'm about to get snatched up. And so, and then once I got there and learned and met the people, I was like, wow, these people are misrepresented in the media. Like, you know, so one story kind of overshadows the greatness of the people within this nation, but the only story that's being told is this Pablo Escobar story. 
And so I was like, man, let me tell it. Let me tell my reality of how I'm living there. But before and before you even go into passport heavy, Jabril, your story is actually a mad one, because <laughs> when I look at your journey, like. From growing up in South London, going to the States, making it, being broke, like then going back and then making it again. Like your story, every time you post something and I read it, I'm like, how did that, how did he do it? So tell us about your journey, like from being adopted by a white family, then growing up in London, then making the money, then losing it, and now we're here. How have you done all of that? What happened? Take us through that. Um, so yeah, so from like, so I was, like I said, I was born in London, um, both my parents are Nigerian and at the time they had, there's this big thing about, um, like foster care and like, if you're not really ready to raise your, your kids, you know, you put your kids in foster care and I was blessed to have some amazing, amazing foster parents. Like my, I feel lucky because the way it could have gone, I could have been left with some weirdos, like, you know, all types of stuff. Right. And so I just feel like. I really feel like God watches out for me. And so, you know, I got placed in like a good foster home where like they truly cared about me and, you know, cared about my well-being and wanted me to grow. I mean, they didn't know nothing about Jello. They didn't know anything about all these things, eh? but they, what, you know, what they led with is like love and kindness. And, you know, what I was able to do is be in a stable home and I was able to play soccer, um, you know, six days a week. And then also study on my, you know, focus on my education, which I was like, this is my path to success, right? But, uh, and also like for me, like I was being scouted for like, um, for soccer since like, you know, I was like six, seven, eight years old. I was always one of the top. I never lost a race, you know, when I was younger. So I was like winning like my, you know, just obviously for my school, but then the area and all that so forth. So like, I thought sports were like my major thing I was gonna be doing. And then, you know, my mother, um, you know, because she was like, okay, I don't want my son to feel like I don't love him, I don't care for him. I want to reconnect with my son. And so she took, I'm giving you the short version, right? Because we don't have all day to hear my story now. Uh, so, you know, brings us to America, to Chicago. And, you know, she does, she's not really financially um, on her feet, right? Um, coming there. So we stayed with family, you know, so I moved to Chicago. And then moving from, I was in a place called Portsmouth, right? Um, which is, is really white. It's not, you know, it's not dangerous or anything. Like they call it like, like it's, it's one of the poorer areas of, of, of England of, of, in the scope of things, but it wasn't bad. Like it, it, it's fine. But then I moved to Chicago That's, and my like mom Portsmouth. is now giving me, huh? I like Portsmouth. I think Portsmouth yeah. is very beautiful. Yeah. 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 I think it's beautiful. Right. And then, but like, and it's even changed and how they got a university. Then I moved to Chicago and my mom is now giving me warnings of, ah, be careful. You know that boy got shot the other day. Be careful. Uh. You have, you know, you, you can't be hanging with those kind of boys. Be careful. Ah, this, 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 and that. Ah, you can't do this. And then so now my whole world is shifted because now I'm going with, you know, white folks from England that drink tea and stuff to now African mother um, mixed into Chicago. And then there I have my own room and everything. Now I'm with my uncle his wife and three kids in a tower block in Chicago. And me and my brother also came along with us. And my mom is sleeping on a pullout sofa, you know, in Chicago, because, you know, that's the best situation that we can have at that time. You know, fast forward a little bit later, um, we have another family member who has a, a place in, um, the, in the suburbs. We go live with him. And so he has a bedroom for us. So now we upgrade, moving on up. 
we got in our bedroom for us. So me, my brother, my mom, we got a bedroom, which is like, oh, it feels great, you know? Fast forward, my mom gets on her feet a little bit more, and now we're able to move into our own one-bedroom apartment, right? And now during this time as well, so during this kind of two-and-a-half-year journey to, for her to get on her feet, all my sports, everything like that is just, you know, is pushed to the side because it's just a survival thing. There's no time to, you know, do all those things. So my lifestyle of, hey, I wake up, I play sports, all I have to worry about is eating. My hustling mentality started from that pain of now when I moved to with my uncle, we moved to a suburb, you know, suburban neighborhood where it was a nice neighborhood, but we're in a one bedroom apartment and I start to see things that people have. So I have free lunch, but these kids are coming to school with like $10 for lunch. I'm like, ah, that's $10. I don't even have quarter for cookie. Uh, this, this, is, this shit is not right. And so I'm like, I have to figure this out because also another thing is my mom is so, one thing I really respect about my mom, because we had other people who's like, oh, they take it the easy way. They start selling drugs. They start doing these things to make life easier. But my mom is like, when you say straight and narrow, what you, what? You will listen. I will put a tribal mark on your face. If I catch you, what? I'm telling you. And so my mom really instilled that thing of doing things the right way. So I was like, you know, I was like, okay, mathematics, right? I'm really good at math. And so I was like, they're coming to lunch for $10. They don't, they ain't even working for it. So they have no even emotional connection to it. So I would buy things like with my $3 allowance, cause I was older, I'd get a bigger allowance than my brother. So I'd have $3 a week. And we're not talking about 1950 here. I'm only 33 years old. Now, and my brother would be getting $2 a week. And so I would go to a place like Walgreens, buy Warheads, and then buy that for like $2 and then flip it for like $8 at school. Cause they couldn't, they couldn't buy those in, in school. And then I started doing things like this in school. So I was like, ah. Now I got my $10 a day, right? Now I can buy what I want. And, and that's what started my, I don't, and I don't know if I would have been as motivated if things were just given to me. Um, and my parents, you know, were doing those things for me. Where it's like, and I, I think about that as like, you know, as I think about being a parent in the future, I'm like, how do I set up my kids best of giving them what they need versus not giving them too much where them, now they're not motivated. Where it's like that survival instinct kind of comes in. And so that started the core thing. And then, you know, things progressed. And then as a teenager, and then, and I haven't talked about my dad. I feel like this is not even the basketball podcast. Now, like my life, I'll, I'll kind of wrap it up here. My dad's always been, a, I never grew up with my dad, never spent much time with my dad, but he's been a supporter of my entrepreneurial journey. And then, so he bought me my computer. Um, and then from that moment forward, I never saw it as a toy. I was like, dad, I don't need it. I was like, you don't even need to pay for internet. So I was like, back in the day, I used to, I was like, I was, I was like, there was Napster for, for my, for you young kids, you don't know about Napster, um, but it was like a, a service where you could download music for free. And so obviously record companies hated it. It wasn't legal, um, you know, by their terms. Benny would know that. Benny, 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 should, Benny would know Napster. Listen, bro, I was just saying that if we went to the same school in North London, we would be best friends. Benny! <laughs> so we would be friends. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I love it. I love it. With me, then I, I came across, you know, I was doing CDs and that's when I was like, okay, you know, I could be making a hundred, two hundred dollars a week, you know, um, selling CDs to kids in school and then video games and whatnot. But then I was like, this is so limited geographically. And then, so then this is now about the age of like 13, 14. I said, Hey, this internet thing is big. And so as I'm, you know, I'm seeing things, I have access to different things, um, Yahoo, Alta Vista, which is, I don't even know if they're around anymore. 
Yeah, even before that. Google was like the thing, before Google was the thing, and I said, okay. And then so I, I started on eBay, and then this is what just changed my whole world in a way that, because before then I saw school was the only way to success. Like it was drilled in my head, if I don't have good grades, I'm gonna be flipping hamburgers or something that is not desirable. And that was the only thing in my mind. But once I started to use my, entre and I was like, like to tell you, like literally in, while I was in high school, I cracked like $10,000 a month, um, even beyond that, but I won't go into, you know, how big it got. But um, it, really and it was because of the power. <laughs> and um, because of the power of the internet, I saw, wow, now I can reach the whole world and verse like having a dream of like, oh my God, this cool store in my city. I saw the power and where the internet was going because I was like, wow, I can reach the whole wide web. I wasn't just selling to um, now people in my school. I had customers in London, in Germany. I had customers all throughout the United States. And also there's a thing about performing versus being seen as your race where you can automatically be put down right at the time i have my fubu sweater and you know a nappy afro but they didn't care because i was providing the product we had the customer service and it, it was a brand that you couldn't see who what color was behind the brand so now if they would have come into my store and see like a 15 16 year old boy um you know black guy dark skin big they're like mm, i don't know about this audience but just because I did what I said and I was, you know, following through and everything, it changed my mind to like, wow, how much further can I take this where in a world I'm judged by results, but not by the color of my skin. And so it changed how I felt about university. It changed how I felt about everything. But you have to remember now, this is before even Facebook, all these things are around. So my vision was so much bigger than you know, obviously my mom is, she loves me to death. And like, so it's still school. This internet thing is a fado. You want you, you want to end up like them? It's, it's, it was a, now it's catching up where it's like, okay, and I, you know, I make a fair bit of money. And so it's easy to see why the internet is good, right? Um, so that's that was kind of like my journey before, or a short, shortened version, kind of 15 minute version of how I got to, you know, kind of where I am and kind of how I developed my mindset and now everything. But you are, Jabril, you are a global citizen because you go everywhere and everywhere you go, you tell the story of the place you go to. Now, with the launch of MBA Africa and the BAL, like you, I've seen it as a great opportunity for Africa to just take the next step. One, for us to own our narrative, but also for us to, you know, to shape our narrative. This narrative is not something that somebody else did or somebody else said. It's us, it's for us, by us, right? So... Looking at it from your standpoint, where do you think we win when it comes to sports tourism across Africa? Um, I think there's so many ways that we win. And um, and then shout out to your brother as well, um, you know, Pops. And like, just even hearing the words from him, you know, hey, I want to own a team in the BAL. Like just to have that and, you know, and like, and he means it is something, you know, something amazing. And so like, you know, the ownership of it. And then for me, my part that I really, like, there, there's multiple things, but I think the sense of pride that we can have when we think of our continent versus like right now, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but most people, when they think of luxury, so like even shout out to, you know, chocolate with his clothing, the standard of excellence that it has to come from Italy, it has to come from, you know, Europe or France for it to be deemed worthy of a of a top tier price 
And that obviously that comes from a lot of different things, right? And so I want to be a part of branding the, you know, the continent in a way that people can say, oh no, I want to be a part of that, right? And so when people only have one side of the story, even within the country or within the continent, they're like, oh, I want to go to, when they're thinking of even vacations, oh, I'm thinking of, I want to go to Paris. Oh, I want to go to London. I want to go to these things. Well, I love these places. I, I like, I have dear friends in these places. They are amazing places. But when, where I'm from, where my blood is from, when you, you don't want to say, oh, I want to go here as well as this other place, I feel a type of way. And that makes me want to build, you know, the continent to a, to a level where it's like, oh yeah, like, like I, 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 I want to go to um, you know what that's the way you're fine <laughs> <laughs> you know put that belief right and where it's like because i like to visit other i love bali indonesia i like these other cultures but i want that same thing where when i look at a place like bali indonesia where a lot of farmers they wasn't developed but people had a vision for how to develop it now people are rushing to go there even before they go to other places i said why can't we build that aura within our own home and so like i said i want people to go to france i want people but i also want like that level of like pride where people are like oh, i don't even need to go but i can go there but we have these same things plus more because we have the landscape, we have the resources, we have the intelligence, all of these things where I'm like, when I started to really sit back and I said, how can I create content? So when I made the Ghana video recently, I made a video on Ghana and I was, I don't want to sound bougie, right? So I was yachting in Croatia. Um, I don't know how to say that humbly. What is that? <laughs> right. And so I was having this conversation with this girl and I was like, oh, I'm going to Ghana. And she's like, Oh, cool. Are you going to do like missionary work? I was like, no, I'm just going to enjoy. And I was like, she's like, they don't, does he even have like anything nice there? And it, and I and I and it was just like even more affirmation to be like, this you is why taking I a need wig to off, man. You should have just taken <laughs> a wig off, dashed me in the water. <laughs> but like, it was more like reason for me to feel compelled to be like, this is why I need to create content to show people because the only things they're aware of at a global scale is you know missionary trips or safari trips and they don't know of the intelligence of the people they don't know about the tech space they don't know about all these up and coming things and so i said let me show this and then as, and where it comes in with sports i was like athletes are some of the most celebrated and admired individuals within the world right everyone wants to be like athletes and then if you can use that to point to these different places and bring energy to these causes i was like wow right and you have the respect of and then you know the association with like the nba all these things where i was like wow we can start to really change the narrative of even first how people see it so outside and also within so for a lot of people within and when i was showing them the things in the video they're like well, i didn't even know i had that in ghana i didn't know i had that. even people within ghana didn't know that they had some of these things and so i felt such pride of showing like hey here are the amazing restaurants. And then obviously there's so much more, right? Here's the culture, you know, that they have. You know, here's like some of your top designers that you have. Here are some of your intelligent people in tech. Here are like all these things that you have within it. And let me showcase it in a way, right? Because when we are dependent on things like oil, like in Nigeria, where it's so much of our GDP, now it's like, as those things have less of a value, it's like, okay, where does the money come from? How does your economy grow? And so I think about things like technology and it goes back to what I what I learned at a young age is 
your results can be based on your performance and the value that you give versus the color of your skin. And you can provide things to a worldwide platform. I was like, if people started to understand this, you know, more kids would be excited about, you know, programming, tech, technology, outside of, and then the, I guess the other angle is athletes are like, you know, or musicians are some of the coolest people in the world. But I was like, what if kids looked up to swagged out entrepreneur and business people? So like, like I mean, I was just talking to Lou, right? Like I'm friends with athletes and musicians, like even my cousin, shout out to my cousin, like my first cousin, Malik Berry, Berry Pandas. And we have um, a very oh, similar vision. Like our moms are sisters and we, we dream together from even before we had anything. And so when I see these things, like I see the value of sports, I see the value of, but the reality is there's only gonna be so many musicians, there's only gonna be so many athletes, but now what about the people to build the BAL and be a part of that, right? What are the people behind us? How do you celebrate those people? How do you celebrate these people that, and then as, and one thing I, I really wanna push to people as well is like, you'd be surprised who athletes look up to. Athletes look up to the entrepreneurs, the businessmen. That's who they wanna have conversations with. And so even though I'm like, you can't see it from afar, they look up to these. And I was like, you can be that, right? And so to give them another narrative to also, um, you know, aspire to be if that makes sense i'm like i was i was gonna say i'm like i feel like we should have pops on this podcast because every single person that comes on is like pops this oh hell pops oh so if pops if you're listening hit benny up so that we can have you on the podcast anyway jabrell out of the seven locations that the bal will be playing at which ones are your favorite and what is your plan in capturing the the travel and tourism side of these locations and your involvement with the bal i'm really excited about senegal um the car i've heard amazing things about the spirits of the people there um the landscapes and just so many things like the like yeah the energy of the people but then just all of the like how they work out they have these outside workout stations and then how they're moving forward um with different things so really excited about senegal like i can't wait for Senegal, um, Rwanda, feel like they, the kind of, and that's another thing, like the perception. So I think most people, if you ask them about Rwanda, they say, oh, Hotel Rwanda or something, you know, and the genocide, all of these things. And that's the last thing that they've heard, right? Because it hasn't been, I'm talking about as like a world scale. And so people just remember certain little things. One of my big things, like one of my big businesses, like I'm, I'm in, I have a financial education and marketing. Marketing is my thing. I like to amplify things. And so, I'm excited about Rwanda to share the story and I think of the people and also how it looks today. People might have a perception that hasn't caught up a place like Colombia. I was like, but no. so I'm excited about Rwanda there. Also Egypt. Egypt seems like I've never been to Egypt. I feel like there's so much. I mean, every and then also my place. Uh, I'm a Niger man. I can't talk about all these other places without. Oh. But you know, if I'm honest though, you know, we're still. I don't want to offend anyone, but I know my people. So um, I was about to say, I love my people. Everybody, but your place. <laughs> And, um, but yeah, I, I, was just, I, was, I was just waiting to go there, but yeah, so um, there's so much um, within Nigeria, obviously the most, you know, the biggest GDP in Africa, you know, the, the, the biggest population. And if someone has a connection to an African um, anywhere around the world, they likely know a Nigerian, right? And so, and, I, and I, I feel so compelled sharing the individual stories of different Nigerians. So like my biggest passions in life are telling the stories of 
amazing entrepreneurs and just people doing amazing things. So you can, because obviously each story changes your perception of how you look at um, different things. So I just like, I want to share different stories of people from different contexts. So people are like, oh my God, like they're, they're doing this, 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 and this. And the only thing I've seen up until this point is just charity work and X, Y, Z. And so the more that those stories, you know, are seen, I feel it does so much. I, I feel so, I, this power of storytelling can change the world if it's followed obviously by action, is it, but people have to first be, see something, you know, a lot of times in life to be like, oh, okay. Or why are they compelled for, you know, shout out to, you know, badass bows, right? For, you know, and then all these people igniting you know, the return to, um, and social media is a different thing that we didn't have years ago. And so people are able to tell their own story and it matters, each story matters. Like if you have 300 telling the story and you only have, people are like, oh, it doesn't matter, I only have 300. No, that matters because now you can influence if it's just two people to go and do something and you never know what that individual is going to do or what they're going to see. And so I tell people, your story matters no matter how big or small. Um, it really matters um, in the whole eco um, space of everything. Every single story matters. Um, it's not just the person with a million followers because you never also know, one of the biggest things that I also, man, I, I could go on forever, but I'm just gonna stop after this point is people don't understand people with small follow counts because you know the whole celebrity and clout thing has been so, such a thing today. I don't think people understand the power of just getting stuff done and you can have major power and influence in the world without having a huge follow count. You can have so much impact in this world without being a social media, but there's so much that's put on that. that I think it clouds some of the vision for some of the, especially the younger people where they're like, oh, I have to be famous to have an impact, which is not true. And so- I'm very passionate about that. I'm very passionate about that because I feel like sometimes the information that's been put out there because they think they have huge following is the right way forward. And young people want to aspire to be like them because they think that's the way forward. When in fact, you can have somebody that has 500 followers that is more impactful organically and more influential than the person that has 5 million followers. And I'm very, like, I'm very passionate about that, especially when we're talking about Africa. Because sometimes, you know, yes, it's great that Africa, things are changing, we're moving forward. But we also live on this celebrity lifestyle that they only go by, well, they've got this amount of followers, so we have to invite them. Or they've done this. No. Let's think about people that actually have influence and actually have impact and use those people to drive the narrative forward. So, Jabril, I'm totally with you on that one. Colin? Yeah, I mean... <clears throat> I was just going to um, start to agree with you, but um, it's, 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 it's just true. Look, I, I know people in my business because I, I do a lot of this and that. And um, one of the hats I wear is a strategy and marketing consultant for, for a betting company here in, in, in Nigeria. You know, th there's a concept that I sort of like came up with, you know, in terms of trying to, especially when this lockdown came, you know, came up, of reaching people. And rather than using normal brick and mortar shops, you know, what I thought about was, um, sort of like tweaking the affiliate model, you know, and having digital agents rather than having shop-based agents who can reach people. And I mean, we're still working on it and still sort of like cleaning out the rough edges. But what I've seen the most is I'm not looking at the guys who have 20, 30, 100,000 followers. I'm looking at the guys who can reach maybe 15, 20 people at a time. So if, if a chap has like 300 followers, you know, and if he can reach like 10, 15 of those, 
and those can be players, big players. I'm fine with that, you know. So because the guy who has like hundred thousand might not connect to every single person that he has, but that chap who has maybe two hundred, you know, probably knows them on a much closer level than the guys who have the um, the the big ones. So yeah. And then talking about travel, you know, I kind of feel ashamed of myself um, after listening to you because yeah, <laughs> don't laugh, Betty. And I'll tell you why. You know, um, I've been traveling since um, for the last what maybe twenty years or so. And I've been to just about every part of the world, you know. Uh, and you know, sometimes when when I started, I kept telling myself, "Okay, look, I'm going to start a travel blog." You know, I'm going to start taking pictures, telling stories, and this and that. But I never quite seemed to get to, to get around to do it. And trust me, every single day it comes to my head, and I think I'm thinking, "Okay, I'm going here. This is what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do." Um, but I don't know whether it's because of the work I do that I spend so much time reporting and stuff. But I never got that travel blog off the ground. It wasn't. Ju- it was about just during this lockdown period. Again, I was just trying to rethink, you know, uh, my whole entire journey. I'm thinking, okay, I think I'm going to start that travel blog now. All those things I didn't do. Whenever I go anywhere now, I'm going to do it. And then all of a sudden, here is Jibril coming up and making me feel like total twat. You know. <laughs> Jibril influence Uncle Colin. <laughs> yeah. You know. So. Now I'm inspired by you, and you know what? While you were talking, I simply just made, give, give myself in my ideas, my ideas folder. I just put, I just wrote something down. I don't know if you saw me going on, on there. I wrote something down about now I'm going to start a travel blog, whether or whether, <laughs> whether or whether, like we say in Nigeria. So yes, I'm going to start it. And um, uncles I'm on top. Any, any, any <laughs> tips you have, please feel free to share. But I am definitely starting a travel blog. Jabril, I have a question. Sorry, Colin, sorry, I was just saying, uncles on tour, you and your boys are going to start touring Africa. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but what's wrong with that? That could be the name of the blog. That could be the name of the blog, uncles on tour. Uncles on tour, Mm. yeah. (laughs) That's around the globe. Sorry, for those people that don't know what your involvement is with the BAL in terms of storytelling, tell us what it is. So, um, and shout out to um, Manuel. So while we're in Ghana, he, he saw some of the videos that um, I was creating and then also learn more about because some you know some people know me for passport heavy and then but that's not even my main business it's um it's my huge passion project right so I have a marketing company a financial company um, and then he was like whoa and then when he saw the videos and the production level of the videos he said whoa who funds this who like who does this like what, who, who's behind this? And I was like, yo, me. But he's like, well, who's like behind it, behind it? Like, who's like, I was like, me. Like, but he's like, and then, then once he gets to the point of like, wow, like, um, this is something we could produce. He's like, I want, like, so he, the lifestyle aspect of the BAL, he was like, I want you to introduce you to George and Yusuf and, you know, some of these other people on the team that I think we have something here. So, you know, not so much filming the basketball, but obviously involving it um in there as part of the narrative but more so showing people the the lifestyle aspect and what you can do in each city that the bal is you know is looking forward to um establishing you know teams and and playing so that was it basically passport heavy version so travel documentaries about these different places um that we're going to be having teams that sounds dope Mm -hmm. that sounds dope so then um Sorry, Aries, were you saying something? No, no, sorry. I thought you said you go first and I'll go after. All right, so that's that's really dope to hear because there's so much to be seen around the continent and especially in these places that are going to be hit. Are you going to be talking, in terms of lifestyle, 
what will be your main focus in drawing the audience that are in the diaspora who will be able to watch the BAL or even tune or, or even see things on social media and stuff? Do you have any specific things that you want to hit, whether it's food, whether it's fashion, or um, the culture of the specific um, cities that the BAL is going to hit? Yeah, it's um, it's a combination of things, right? So when I look at it from like a higher perspective. When I look at the people who will be in the stadiums, right? And then looking at people who will just be watching on TV. And so, like, even if you take the U.S., for example, there's a certain type of person who's going to be at an NBA stadium because of the cost of, um, you know, attending a game. And then, but it's like the whole nation watches because they enjoy the product of the NBA, right? But not everyone can afford to go to the game. So it was gonna be a combination of appealing to people who, so if I'm thinking about the advertising and how they're seeing it, so yeah, it's the food, the culture, who, you know, obviously, and people, they wanna know who's at the game. What, can I be talking about business, right? at these games and all of these different type of things that I know that interest people. So a lot of people buy NBA tickets because they're like, oh, I can bring clients here. We can network and have a good time, watch a good product, right? And so when I think about, you know, you know, Africans, you know, throughout the whole continent, you know, they're going to be thinking about the same thing. What's the benefit for me going to this game now? Oh, I watch football. Like, uh, and then all these different things. So it's like, oh, the lifestyle, the entertainment. And also you're going to get to connect with like minds at the game, right? So I'm thinking about that. But then also when it's being promoted as a bigger thing, I'm like, okay, let's promote, you know, a little bit about the product and just the awareness factor for anyone who's like, oh, I want to watch on TV, um, you know, these different things. Or if I'm interacting on social media, it's a different thing. Like you said, food, culture, um, you know, technology, all the things that, um, and I personally enjoy these things as well. That's one of the biggest things, like I enjoy it. So rolling those things into it, um, I, what, you know, I was seeing the content, you know, being about, um, so an extension, but a modified version for the BAL of, uh, you know, when it comes to content. Nice one. You know what's funny? You kind of answered my question because I was going <laughs> to ask you um, what's next for travel? Is it going to be like a TV series or a documentary like on Hulu or Netflix? Um, do you see yourself as like the like a prominent... I mean, I've been looking at your videos for, for time and the, the one in Ghana, I was so impressed. I was so happy. I was like, oh my God, somebody's actually done an amazing video on Ghana, not just your usual going to the hut playing drums and you know, which is for the, the cult, part of our culture, but the contemporary and lifestyle, people need to see that. So thank you so much for putting Ghana on the map like that. Like, it was just amazing. Um, when you travel, what music, apart from Eddie Berry, because I'm a fan of his stuff, I play his stuff out all the time. Who else do you listen to? Who inspires you, you know, music-wise when you're out there traveling? Oh, great question. I mean, I would be biased saying my cousin. Um, <laughs> I look very, very fun this. But one person <laughs> I, I really enjoy is um, J. Cole. Um, I really enjoy J. Cole for the reason of, I feel like he's kind of like my spirit animal of like, you, you don't need to be flashy to have influence, but you can still be fly yeah. and still be big in a way, but then spread a message in what it is that you're doing where you're not like, I mean, the reality of things, yeah, like people do sell dope in the trap and all of these different things. I was like, what if we can inspire something else in this, and so a different narrative of cool, right? And I think he, he really exemplifies a different 
definition of of cool, right? Where he doesn't look like the traditional, you know, per se rapper, the jewelry, the bling, which I mean, I mean, cool, like, I mean, a nice watch. And I, and I think what, what the most important thing is true to yourself. So like, for some people that might feel true. And I'm like, that's why I tell like, people look at me and I'm like, I talk about, you know, being frugal and different. Like, I like cars. I like fast cars. I like, you know, yachting. But I was like, I enjoy it from my soul. Like, it's not something just because someone, like, I don't even have to post a picture of it. I will be happy. Or if I'm on my motorcycle, I am happy. Like, it's like my soul. And so one of the big things that I think, so music, Cole, I mean, I, I don't know him personally, but I feel he really has that thing of, an authentic soul and talks about things like like songs like Love You or just topics that are just not BS where it really makes you think. Yeah, I would say if there's like a, a musician that's like my spirit animal, it's definitely like a J. Cole. <laughs> Sorry, one more question, Jabril. What are some important things that uh, things to know before traveling to place? Because there's all you mentioned earlier about people making assumptions, you know, when you mentioned Colombia and people making assumptions about what Africa looks like. But in general, as a person who travels so much, what do you think are the important things for people to know before traveling? I'm big on I'm big on cost, right? So I want to know how much because I think it's one of the big things people avoid, and it's like not everyone has a Jay Z budget, not everyone has um, you know these and. So so people like to act like they do, but I was like, you don't. Like, let's stop fronting. Like, and, and it's a big part, and that's why I like to include cost in my videos, even though a lot of people don't do it. I feel cost is a big thing because it's like in, in the United Kingdom, I think average income is like 28,000 pounds a year. United States, like maybe like 35,000. Like, and so when you look at those metrics, and then obviously there's a different level, you know, people make six figures. But even when you're making six figures, like 200,000 a year, to spend $500 a night in a hotel, it's like this image, it's like the, the wax is mixed up. So I think cost is, um, is a big thing also is um safety so i look at like you know how safe is a place and generally speaking and then also is it changed based on your race right so i'm also very aware of like you know how, how does it feel for a black person to travel in you know different places or if you're whatever but like i, I think about safety and then i think about um, for me, internet speed is like a digital nomad and like I can work anywhere in my companies. I think about infrastructure of um, technology. I, am I going to be able to work um, while I travel? And then also like entertainment, right? So like what are like the fun things? Like what is entertainment like there? What is tra like transportation? Um, all those different things. I think about like, you know, yeah, the fun things like, you know, if, you, if you're single or whatnot, like, you know, how is that? You know, how is that for you in different places? And then uh, just this sense of adventure, right? So some people might I, I, I like that. I like that single part. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you, um, Jabrilis, what inspires you about Africa? For me, it's fairly simple. It's like when you look at me, you can tell I'm African. It's me. It's it's like my history, my DNA. I want the world to to know about our food, our um, and so I, I see like even you know, like so when people know about Italian food around the world, I was like but they really don't know anything. Now they're starting to learn about jell -O. I was like, why is that? But you know about Chinese food? So I'm just like, like I said, I love these other nations. I want us to be, you know, I'm competitive. So it's like, I was like, ah, like people are like, oh, I can't wait to go to, you know, Nairobi. I can't wait to go to the way, the kind of energy that they give like these Tokyos and all of these things. 
I want them to be like, ah, oh, Lagos, man. Last year I was in Lagos. Or even like, it kind of, you kind of sunset with Accra of the way people were kind of talking about Accra. And that kind of pride of like, yeah, people like, and that's what drives me um, about telling the story. I want the excitement for people and just to be proud. And if I can be a part of like, of that, like, I'm, I just want to collaborate. Um, you know, and be a part of that. So that that would be the reason why. Jabril, now the BAL didn't kick off as it was planned in the summer. It's going to come. What are your what is your vision? What are the five things that you would say you would like to see when it comes to sports tourism with the BAL when it finally launches in the normal way it's supposed to? It's a big question. And I was actually just talking literally two days ago to George and Yusuf about this. Um, because of as things change, like what the plan was a few months ago to now and things are still being figured out. But for me, I mean, so five things, and maybe I'll just do three, just cause I know we've been going for a while. And I was like, uh, um, number one, I want the, I guess like the players to feel um, excited about, you know, being in these different locations. I think that's, that's a, I mean, when you look at anything or even watching the Last Dance documentary, it's a player's league. Like they are the product and, you know, because yeah, I can make a videos, but without, you know, the players happy and excited and all of these things, nothing happens. Like, you know, in the organization, all that stuff is great. So I think the players um, and getting them everything that they need and, you know, feeling supported. Sports tourism. I would like to see, yeah, I guess like the, the presidents of, like the actual presidents of these different countries. Like when I see with Rwanda, like putting the time and like building stadiums and all that, where they, where, they, where we can communicate and with them and say, hey, this is the benefit that will meet for your country, not just, hey, this basketball thing that we're doing, but this is so much bigger than basketball. Here are all the things that will come about, the exciting things that can come about. And then also that we're not gonna forget about the people, not where it's just the people at the top are gonna benefit, this growth and everything happening, but really having a solid plan for everything down to like, you know, the taxi drivers, right? Now they're eating more. When I see like, I keep going back to Bali, but 20 years ago, and I talked to some of these taxi drivers, they're like, and obviously they've been hit now because of COVID, but they're like, yeah, before, you know, we didn't have electricity. We didn't have, um, like, you know, basically it's like, like, this is just, I'm not being judgmental. This is just the words coming out of their mouth. They're like, you know, yeah, we're just um, going about, you know, we smoke some tobacco, we, you know, we're farming, we make babies. And when the light goes out at like seven, um, you know, this is, and then as people started breeding vision into them and being a part of something, now these guys that, and, and economics is not everything, but economic does give you a sense of pride when you're able to support yourself, right? Now, some of those guys are making four, five, six hundred, seven hundred dollars a month, you know, and years ago, 20 years ago, a lot of them are making 30, 40, 50, 60 dollars a month. And I see the short growth and it's not just that, hey, every, the guys at the top of me, but it's trickled down to people within the community where a lot of people are winning. So that would be a big thing for me. Um, well, I'd like to see come about as, as the sports tourism. To be honest, like, I haven't really thought of too much more. Um, I don't want to just say things just to say things, but those are some of the things that um, I've really thought about. Okay, lastly, because everybody answers this question on this podcast. If you had to choose your five of the best all-time NBA African players, who would you have in your five, your starting five? Wow, big question. Akeem the Dream, 
um Olajuwon, I'm sad like I literally bought the I have the jersey I was getting I was all excited for the BAL episode I was gonna be like <laughs> when I was um you know gonna be filming because obviously we'd be filming right now yeah. and I was like oh I'm gonna bust it out in an episode and like now nah, it's just you know just sitting there um so Akeem the Dream I'm gonna say I'm gonna put Luol I'm gonna put Luol on there and not just because like you know if I'm, but I really felt like you know just a you know a great player say man even though he's newer I almost feel that kind of I mean Giannis you know Giannis you have to kind of put even though it's like is you know the thing of Greek freak but like you know he is um you know he's so much you know you know, it's so much African. And I was like, let me not miss some of these older players. Like, I like this, I'm thinking on the, I'm like, okay. And I know when I watch this, I'm like, damn, how did I not include X, Y, Z? Um, You're gonna be in trouble, bro. Akeem is like my solidified, I would say Manoop, but I was like, I'm like, man, it's like the hardest question you've asked, like, today. <laughs> Oh, man, I'm just even calling my list like not a real list. I don't even want to be, I don't want to be judged based upon my list because now I'm thinking about Joel. <laughs> Um, I'm thinking about, yo, this is like really the hardest question. Like now you actually got me stressed. <laughs> <laughs> you got two more spots. I got Joel. Let me give Joel a spot. Kim, Joel. Luau. Luau. Yeah, that's all West Africans, uh, man. And then who's on Indiana? What's his name on Indiana? Um, Oladipo. And like, don't even give me, like, I'm like, Oladipo and... And that's your five. That's five. No, that's that's four. Real. You missed that pop, you will never live the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. But like, I love pop, but I'll just leave it there. I love pops. <laughs> <laughs> you have been amazing please do come back we appreciate you appreciate the work you're doing we appreciate the fact that you're going to be part of the team that shapes the narrative for africa i'm really excited about it so from myself and the rest of the team thank you so much for joining us oh thank you it's been an honor thank you brother and we'll speak soon thank you <laughs> hey guys hey guys so oh my gosh the past weekend so who watched the beady man and bounty killer um, I did. I'm waiting for the African one. I know, right? Well, there was a Vibes Cartel and what's his name? And Wizkid. I, I don't know. That should have really been a good combo, to be honest. Like, they're two different, two different, you know, countries and so on. But yeah, I, I'll be honest. I think Bounty Killer and Beanie, they killed it. They smashed it. it was, I think that was one of the best. Jill Scott, Erica Badu. Yeah, Bounty Killer and Beanie Man. Amazing. It was hilarious. Oh my gosh. The memes, especially with Beanie Man. With his, I mean, no offense to anyone with a pot belly. But <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. I think Beanie Man won that too, like literally with his. Did. Did, you, did you see him when a police officer came in? Yes, I wanted to get into it. <laughs> that was hilarious. It was so Jamaican. I loved it. It reminded me because I was actually in Jamaica 10 years this year, like 10 years ago. So I definitely have to go back again. And, um, and it reminded me how much I did not like Bashman. But all of a sudden, after the trip, I loved Bashman. And then I loved it afterwards. You just have to be there to enjoy it and appreciate it. Also, there was the 112 and um, JE. Weren't feeling that. Yeah, I won't lie. I wasn't feeling that too much because I was bouncing around between Poison DJing, like right at the end of her segment yeah. with the after day celebration. And then them okay. and the sound was off. That was... I'm yeah. with it. anyone I'm else, Tabe, because I was really excited. I was a 112 and Jagged Edge fan. I mean, we yeah. beforehand and I said, Jagged Edge is going to win this. I mean, I spent all my teenage pennies to buy the CD. And then oh. the sound was ridiculous. So, yeah. yeah, I was, yeah, they need to do that again. They need to, they need to pay their bills and do it. Yeah, I don't understand their connection. Like, what the hell? Like, Jamaica exactly. had, um, but yeah, I'm a 112 fan. 
all the way. I've always bought their albums. Yeah, I just I'm I'm glad they they. You want can't that. play so, one yeah. of music at your wedding, so I don't like them. Oh please, that song. Why not? Cool. Why play? Great. <laughs> and then just one more. Did anybody come across this virtual fashion show by Hanifa? I was so hype about that. Listen, it was amazing. So the first time ever an African brand was on a virtual fashion show, 3D, and it was just phenomenal, revolutionary, first time ever. So all those big brands, I'm sure they'll be following suit and copying. It's so it's real Aries, like the 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 garments and the, the, the body figures and they're real body figures, not no like, anyway, let me tell you a secret. So I, I was invited to Paris this like two, three months ago by okay. Adidas, yeah. the brand behind this like new technology that allows people to have virtual fashion shows. Okay. okay. People don't know that the next stage in the fashion industry is actually to invest in garments in the visual world. So you don't have to wear the clothes you buy the clothes and they live in a visual wardrobe so what it is that the, the conversation is in years to come we're all going to have visual personalities so how we look in real per, in real life it's not what we're going to look like digitally and where we buy oh, clothes for, for us for us to you know live within sustainable world when you buy your visual clothes you dress your visual character not yourself as a person in real life so for this why does black mirror now I know, right? So I saw it with my naked eyes and it's, it's Adidas' new platform. It's called Pla Platform A. It's a whole place okay. in Paris where all these people have been put together and they've put this technology and in four to five years' time, this is how we're moving. You won't be able to buy friends in the shop. It's going to be living virtually. So this is really cool that an African designer got to use that technology. It was wow. sick. And say you walk around naked in real life and dressed in virtual life. I mean, I have no problem <laughs> with that. It's been a really great podcast because Jabril was on there and he will be back. But also next week, yeah. we have DJ Poison, the first female DJ for the Dallas Mavericks in the NBA. Yeah. Joining us, talking yeah. about <laughs> all the music. I'm really, really excited for that. Be safe. Don't talk to people. Be in quarantine. Don't go and do what Colin does in real life. You know, be... <laughs> A better person. <laughs> if you're listening to us on BL Podcast, I've been Miss Benny Bonsu. Thank you, DJ Aries. Thank you, Tabia. Thank you, Colin. And of course, the big thank you goes to Jabril. Please yeah. make sure you follow us on Twitter, Instagram. We are on, we are on iTunes, Spotify, everywhere you want to listen to this. Thank you, guys, and speak soon.